Capital suggestion, Mr. Keynes. I think there's a little smudge on their lens. Right there. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Hello, friends, and welcome in to this, the 203rd edition of Fusebox, insightfully entitled Web of Deceit. And uh, we'll have much more... No, no, no. A proper discourse. An examination complete with audio actualities, I would say, Mr. Keynes. Whatever you say, Padron. Oh, is, is, is it going to be that show? Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm your fully articulated and ready for action hero famedom host, Mark Rose, and over there... The always over-opinionated, <laughs> but never undercarbonated, master of the meters, Milt Keynes, everybody. Yeah, well, thank you kindly. Hey, you know, I know you're going to uh, go all uh, NASA shit on us here in a bit, but uh, speaking of hysterical conspiracies... They found intelligent life in Congress? <laughs> Jones, the uh, InfoWars host, and a guy who even scares me with his theories, he just sued himself? <laughs> no. I had no, I had not heard that, Mr. Kane. How in fact does that work exactly? Well, you know, he's been sued by the families that were involved in that Sandy Hook shooting that took place in uh, 2014, yeah? Yes, and uh, for those who uh, may have been riding along with the Hubble telescope during that unfortunate event and did not hear, uh, there was a uh, tragic elementary school shooting back in 2014 in Connecticut, as uh, Milt just said there, and, and it claimed the lives of uh, 20 children and eight adults. And uh, Mr. Jones there has been claiming, well, just up to uh, up till recently, really, that the whole thing was fake and uh, played out by, quote, uh, crisis actors. So he sued... Yeah, th- this is nuts. So uh, Jones has filed suit against his own company called Free Speech Systems. And this is just days before jury selection is scheduled in that uh, defamation trial claiming that it, his company, promised and guaranteed to indemnify and hold harmless Alex Emmerich Jones from any damages or other costs which may be assessed or entered against him in this litigation. What? Well, you know what that sounds like. All right. I know I'm in there. If I don't come out with my hands up, I'm coming in after me. Yeah, that's just outrageous. Well, wait. There's more. Oh, do I get the steak knives, too, as a special bonus if I act right now, Mr. Kane? <laughs> Not only that, but just hours after suing his own company, 
A Chapter 11 bankruptcy claim for free speech systems was filed in Southern Texas Bankruptcy Court. They say this filing is not expected to uh, affect the uh, separate defamation trial that's currently ongoing in Texas, but it could potentially delay the Connecticut trial. You can't sue me. I'm broke. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, you know what? I had heard that uh, he had these bankruptcy claims for uh, three of his other shell companies earlier this year. So, yeah, I, I remember something about that. And, and, you know, despite the fact that he said, yeah, forget what I just said about Sandy Hook. I, I was just high on carrot juice or whatever the hell it is he sells on that channel of his. He, he's still saying that uh, mass shootings, like uh, the one at Robb Elementary School in uh, Uvalde, Texas, was, uh, quote, very opportunistic. For who? You know, I don't think even the giant manis aliens would go that far. Yeah, that's just beyond. Well, it, it's funny you bring him up because just yesterday I, I saw a, a, a clip of him speaking about some, some positively unintelligible, even for him, conspiracy regarding, uh, I, I mean, it, it was positively bananas. Oh, We have a new cue, bro. God bless you, Mr. Keynes. Been wanting that one. Can I hear that? There you go. Oh, rapturous. Asking you shall receive. Uh, praise dog. Well, uh, Jones on his uh, InfoWars show <laughs> was rambling on about the notion that, and I'm not kidding you here. You can check this one out. Although I, I would say don't. We don't need him to get any more traffic. He was saying that Dracula... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Dracula was part of some ancient bloodline that was in the shadows pulling the strings of everything. Wait, wait a minute. You mean the guy with the fangs and the cape? Yeah, that one. Hell, bro. Man, you know, we should use this on the Halloween show. I mean, I, I wonder if the Wolfman's on that Cabal's board of directors. Don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling. Fusebox, it's the show for everybody, uh, but not everybody will like it. TheFuseboxShow.com And we're back, bro. Yes, we are. Oh, hey, w one more interesting story from the uh, files here. This one is just, uh, well, as Frank Zappa used to say, kind of cheap and wrong. It involves, of course, the orange guy again. Yeah, he's like that paperclip you can't suck up in the vacuum. Oh, that would be so grand, wouldn't it? I mean, if we could just turn on the old Electrolux there and just suck that guy right up. No, what are you doing? Stop that. That's not right. No. Well, he's been accused of burying first wife Ivana at his New Jersey golf club to exploit state tax exemptions on cemeteries. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Serious as a second term for this guy. Really. According to uh, Dartmouth sociology professor Brooke Harrington, who uh, brands herself as a tax researcher, well, uh, Miss Harrington tweeted, 
I was、uh, skeptical of rumors Trump buried his ex-wife in that sad little plot of dirt on his Bedminster, New Jersey golf course, just for tax breaks. So I checked the New Jersey tax code, and folks, it's a trifecta of tax avoidance: property, income, and sales tax, all eliminated. <laughs> Now, friends. Uh, this this little plot of dirt that、uh, Miss Harrington alludes to is more than sad. It's downright depressing. It looks like a place that you you might bury the family hamster. Now I got a link in the show notes to this picture if you want to see it.、Uh, Harrington later tweeted that there is no stipulation on the amount of human remains necessary in order to qualify for the break. Okay, tee up, buddies. <laughs> yeah, you see,、uh, evidently, plots of land in New Jersey that are designated for use as a cemetery are not subjected to property, income, or sales tax. Oh man! Yeah, and、uh, in case you missed it,、um, Ivana was buried in a plot close to the first tee of the golf course following her funeral in Manhattan on July twentieth. The、uh, Former Czech model was、uh, found dead in her home on July 14th after falling down some stairs. She was 73 years old. Falling down some stairs, huh? Yes. There's that. You see, Orange Guy、uh, previously designated the plot as a farm. To benefit from further tax breaks, as it、uh, produced mulch used for gardening. Oh, this is just sick. <laughs> thanks to New Jersey, thanks to New Jersey's pro-farm taxation policies, Trump only pays sixteen dollars and thirty-one cents per year in taxes on the plot. This guy, sleazy, just doesn't cover it at all. Well, it says here. That in 2016, the Wall Street Journal reported that Bedminster, the、uh, aforementioned golf course, was home to a herd of goats, which contributed to the organization's claims that the area was farmland. The journal estimated that without the farmland tax break, the orange guy would have to have paid around eighty thousand dollars per year in levies. And、uh, on a lighter side, but no less、uh, dark, it appears that on the first anniversary of the Orange Guy's inauguration as president, an activist group named In Decline snuck onto the property during the night and set up a mock graveyard. Headstones were placed mourning the loss of quote our decency and quote our future. The piece was called. Grave New World. A spokesperson, <laughs> a spokesperson for the group, said that they were inspired to do the piece after reading about Trump's plans for a cemetery on the land. He said, "We were just helping him break ground." <laughs> All righty, friends. On to our main topic for this、uh, edition of the show. Now, should I get the tarps up? I mean, I, you know, I don't want you to burst a vein in there and bleed out and get. No,、up. no, Mr. Keynes. We shall be quite civil in this dissertation. 
Downright academic, you might say. Yeah. Probably not, but I'm doing a little auto-suggestion work on myself, just in case. Roger that. Okay, friends, <clears throat> by now, I'm sure most of you have either uh, seen or perhaps heard of the uh, amazingly wondrous James Webb Space Telescope that was launched in 2021. Oh, yeah, yeah. This thing sent back all those, like, uh, psychedelic shots of the galaxies and stars. And yeah, exactly. And, and they are stunning pictures, no doubt about it. We're getting uh, glimpses into deep space that we've really only been able to uh, speculate on as to what it might look like. And then here comes these, I mean, practically holographic images of... Uh, Newly forming stars and uh, crashing galaxies, and it's, it really is. It's mind-blowing. And uh, much of the recorded material uh, you'll hear in this segment comes from a remarkable documentary that uh, Lucian Wolkowitz and the Just Space Alliance folks produced. It's called Behind the Name, the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, it's available on YouTube right now for free, friends. And... Uh, We'll post a link in the show notes for you to check out. Yeah, and by the way, folks, the whole dock runs about 41 minutes. Yeah, so, you know, drive time. Well, you wouldn't want to be driving, I suppose. But anyway, uh, so you, you might be aware, or perhaps not, because there has been a lot of puff and buzzle around other things in recent months to uh, distract us all. But there has been quite a bit of discussion of late concerning the namesake of uh, this uh, very telescope, there is fairly often even, I mean, really regularly, a public solicitation for names of spacecraft, which is cool as uh, NASA is a government agency after all, and we do participate in their functioning through taxation. Hey, I, I'm still waiting for my damn flying bubble car. I mean... I thought that was a perk for paying taxes, you know? Eh. Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. Uh, so after the uh, Hubble Space Telescope was named for Edwin Hubble, NASA proceeded to name all its telescopes and various uh, spaceware after uh, scientists and or astronomers. And uh, from the documentary here, Here's a little explanation of that progression. And in 1998, NASA announced a public contest to rename the Advanced X-ray Astrophysics Facility. The winning submission from a high school student was the Chandra X-ray Observatory in honor of Indian-American Nobel laureate Subramanian Chandrasekhar. The Shuttle Infrared Telescope Facility was first renamed the Space Infrared Telescope Facility, and then after another public contest was renamed the Spitzer Space Telescope four months after it launched in 2003. In 2008, there was a contest to rename the Gamma Ray Large Area Space Telescope, which resulted in the observatory being renamed after physicist Enrico Fermi two months after launch. So they named them after they were launched. Uh, yes, Mr. Keynes. You're very observant. Indeed, after the launch. So uh, Rolf Tanner, manager at the uh, NASA JPL Proposal Office, uh, in the documentary here, he explains why the names for these spacecraft were changed from some of the more common technical terms before the public, or anyone else for that matter, changed the name for real. What I have heard as a rationale for that is like, in case of a launch failure, 
families of often didn't want to be associated with a just failed space telescope. So often they renamed the telescope after the successful commissioning of a telescope. So it was met with a little bewilderment when things uh, suddenly went another direction completely in, in the process. And uh, you know scientists, they love their measurable consistencies. It was before construction even began that NASA announced the next generation space telescope would be renamed in honor of James E. Webb. Rather than going through any formal naming process, NASA Administrator Sean O'Keefe decided on the name himself in 2002. And in broad terms, our mandate is to pioneer the future, to push the envelope, to do what has never been done before. This took many in the astronomy community by surprise. Partners on the project apparently weren't consulted, and scientists wondered, who? Now, uh, Audra Wolf is a science historian, and uh, she fills us in on just who the hell this James Webb character was. He had previously been the Undersecretary of State under Truman. That's a second-in-command job at the State Department. He had also been director of the Bureau of the Budget. Uh, so he wasn't so much an engineer or a, uh, any kind of space scientist, but a seasoned bureaucrat who knew a lot about uh, the workings of government. He was a bureaucrat, not a scientist, not an astronomer, but inconsistent with, quote, customs within the agency a term the agency uses, and uh, we'll come back to that term in a bit. So if you would, put a pin in that one. Thank you. So we have to do a bit of time travel back to 1950, when uh, James Webb worked at the State Department. Now, as, as you'll recall, uh, this was a very stinky period of time for the U.S. as uh, we were in the middle of the Cold War and the beginning of the Red Scare, propelled in large part by a friend of the show. <laughs> Not. Propelled in very large part by the very dead now, Senator Joe McCarthy and his completely jacked up for purely personal political gains, un-American activities hearings that ruined the lives of many innocent people during the time. Did I mention he's very dead? Yeah, I seem to recall you mentioning that. But, uh, let me ask you, uh, is he dead? Maggot mulch, Mr. Keynes. A little continuity there for you. Thank you. Anyway, concurrent with this uh, proceeding began another insidious quest to root out the evil that was clearly, well, at least to them, undermining the very fabric of good and wholesome God-fearing folk everywhere. Yes, the vile and pernicious plague of the homosexual. Hence the start of what came to be known as the Lavender Scare. In a 1950 staff meeting at the State Department, Webb and his associates, they started to discuss what to do to insulate the department from the Red Menace. Now, it apparently was determined that the department had already begun scrutinization of its employees and found 202 folks who were deemed 
suspicious and uh, promptly fired them. Uh, None of them, by the way, were communists. 91, however, were suspected of being homosexual. This set off the alarm that uh, maybe... Many interpreted it as proof that the State Department, perhaps the entire government, was infiltrated with sexual perverts. So Webb and his associates were assigned the task of uh, working out the kinks (laughs) of this issue. Webb then passed this rancid information along to the appropriate folks, and uh, that was evidently the end of his involvement and association with the Senate hearings completely. Now, one could make a case that this was a paranoid time. The Cold War, the Red Menace, and all that, and and that maybe the American public would frankly just buy into anything that the nice man in the suit told them. Yeah, not everybody. For example, the acting director of the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service told the committee, Since it is possible, according to our understanding of medical and psychiatric opinion on the subject, for a homosexual to lead a normal, well-adjusted life, we do not consider that such a person necessarily constitutes a bad security risk. However, this did nothing to derail the oncoming homophobic train as it railed on through. So let's flash forward to 1963 and uh, during James Webb's administration of NASA. And uh, here, things go a bit sideways. NASA budget analyst Clifford Norton was driving his car near Lafayette Square. Two police officers from the Moral Squad saw Norton pick up a man, drive around the block, and drop him off in the same spot, at which point the man drove off in a separate car. The officers followed both men to Norton's apartment building, where they arrested the two of them in the parking lot and took them to the Morrill's office to issue a traffic violation for speeding. The police interrogated both men for two hours about their activities and sexual histories. Meanwhile, the head of the Morrill squad called over the NASA security chief, who arrived at 3 a.m. and watched the last part of the police interrogation as Norton continued to deny the homosexual accusations. Then the security chief brought Clifford Norton over to NASA headquarters, where he and a colleague interrogated Norton until 6 a.m. Through these hours of late-night interrogation, Norton conceded that he sometimes experienced homosexual desires when drinking, but continued to deny he was a homosexual. After the interrogations, Clifford Norton's supervisor said he believed Norton was a competent employee doing very good work, and he asked personnel officers whether there was any way to avoid firing Norton, because he didn't think this was a real security problem to worry about. The personnel officers told the supervisor that it was custom within the agency to fire anyone involved in homosexual conduct. So Norton was fired due to possessing traits of character and personality that render him unsuitable for further government employment. There's that term again, friends. And uh, for those of you playing along with the home edition of our show, custom within the agency implies that this was done quite a bit within the agency. How much? Well, we don't know. I'm fairly sure they wouldn't be too proud of those statistics today, though. Just saying. In 2017, the State Department made a somewhat limp 
public apology for the lavender scare, but NASA has never said squat about it or attempted any sort of restitution. So, taking the way back ride yet once again and again again, here comes 2002. And then NASA Administrator Sean O'Keefe just goes right ahead and names the Space Telescope after James Webb without any process. At the time, this uh, backstory about Webb was not widely known, and although there was confusion over James who, most were just damn delighted that the thing was going to go forward in the first place. But in 2010, some questions arose about Webb's involvement in the Lavender Scare. In 2021, a group of concerned astronomers had a thought. In early 2021, four astronomers launched a petition to change the name of the telescope. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, Sarah Tuttle, Brian Nord, and myself decided that prior to the telescope's launch, we would create a petition that would essentially allow the astronomical community to coalesce around having this change of name. Hence the start of the petition and an attempt to kind of bring this to more more astronomers and just say, hey, is this a thing we want to touch base about before this telescope gets launched and we start collecting data with it? You know, let's let's sort of check in uh, and see what's going on here. It was really heartening to see that over 1800 people signed the petition. These are folks from as early career as in high school to to major senior PIs, people inside and outside academia, including uh, 10% of the signatories are people who have applied for JWST time. So people who are getting ready to use the instrument, people who are excited for the science are, are included in those people who, who signed the petition. NASA then saw the expectant crowd growing now and started their own inquiry. They hired an independent historian to do some research on this very thing. Uh, that chap, well, he found a few things out. The historian noted that a custom within the agency sounds pretty bad, and NASA under the direction of Webb was able to set its own rules for whom should be removed and for what reasons. The NASA astronomers kept inquiring about the investigation's results and were promptly given, of course, the same info that was delivered to the press. In effect, saying, yeah, the investigation continues and uh, we'll get back to you. One of the resourceful interns in the NASA History Department started an investigation as well and wrote, That Webb played a leadership position in the Lavender Scare is undeniable. The only thing left up to historical debate in this matter is whether or not his heart was in it. Was Webb emotionally invested in the persecution of LGBTQ people? Either way, one thing is clear, he still did those things. And those things served a key role in a bigger thing, a thing that, as NARA archivist Judith Atkins has pointed out, led many to suicide. Then, the primary NASA historian said, You know what? There was a great deal of good information in that intern's write-up, and by golly, I'm going to go ahead and include that in the final report. <laughs> well, back to the independent historian. He still had not been able to access the National Archive, nor the Truman Library, due to the COVID pandemic that's still raging on. Now, both of these libraries were set to reopen in October of 2021. But on September 27th, 
just days before the two archives were to reopen. A one-sentence statement from NASA Administrator Bill Nelson was sent to six reporters. We have found no evidence at this time that warrants changing the name of the James Webb Space Telescope. Needless to say, this was much less than delightful for the scientists and astronomers seeking answers. Now, they saw this as a chance for NASA to clear the fog around this murky part of the agency's history and, frankly, just stay the established course with all the prior naming conventions that they've been doing for decades. I think it would help send the message that NASA in its current era does not tolerate the same sort of intolerance that was present in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We are going to do our best to foster an inclusive, accepting, and welcoming environment that we want people who have been historically discriminated against and persecuted because they make our agency stronger. And for, for astronomers who are using the telescope, applying for time, you know, writing up their work, knowing that they're kind of reinvigorating the legacy of somebody who very clearly did not support them, I think it's a particularly heavy burden to ask queer astronomers um, to have to carry that burden. It kind of sends a pretty clear message about who is considered important or relevant. You know, this isn't James Webb on trial. This is, what should we name the telescope? And I don't think anyone starting from a clean sheet, looking at lists of names and coming up with the best name would have James Webb uh, anywhere near the top of that list. You know, I realize that people's legacies are often complicated, but, you know, having a telescope named after you is not something that everybody just gets. Uh, to be honest, I'm not quite sure why in this particular case, NASA is so insistent on James Webb, it feels a little bit strange. There are just so many choices for name, right? Even if James Webb was a great guy, if this name is not, it didn't get buying from the community, I don't see a strong reason that we need to stick to this specific name. So there, there we are. It's a little stinky around the edges. I mean, can you point to a direct influence Webb had to hiring practices? Vague. At, at least for the moment. But friends, it makes it a complicit act at the very least. Why? Because you did nothing to raise your voice about this discrimination. Not only that, it continued after the crazed red menace, lavender scare days with absolutely no adjustment at all. Say what you will, but to me... The inaction is as damning as the act of discrimination. Well, kind of like the orange guy, who for 187 minutes on January 6th refused to act, refused to call for help, or at least call off the mob that was storming the Capitol. Right you are, Mr. Keynes. Right you are. And with that thought to ponder, friends, we'll call it a show. But not before thanking our contributors to this edition of Fusebox, Bruce Miles and Jeff Pollard for splendid ideification. And as always, a big wide-angle lens of thanks to the Deacon of Dials over there, Milt Keynes, for technical assistance and so forth and so on. Yeah, pleasure as always. And uh, in spite of the fact that my head hurts from all the learning today. <laughs> 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 and, and hey, folks, 
Remember to uh, like and subscribe to this here show wherever you may have found it. That helps a whole bunch. In truth, it very much does. As does joining us on Patreon, friends, where you'll get all sorts of exclusive material created especially for members, as uh, well as access to uh, the now, oh yes, right now, this moment, super secret voicemail line where you can leave us a message, a fear, or even a regret, and uh, we'll perhaps, with a side of even maybe, feature it on an upcoming show. So, there. Oh, and don't forget to check out the spanky new and improved Fusebox store, too. It's loaded with brand new stuff. Find it at thefuseboxshow.com and uh, clicking the swag tab. Yes, and but also, once and finally, please do check out the full James Webb documentary on YouTube entitled Behind the Name, The James Webb Space Telescope. Produced by the folks at Just Space Alliance. As I mentioned, it's uh, linked right down there in the show notes for your convenience. I have been your surface-to-air missile with no sense of direction host, Mark Rose, saying until our next cartoon. Thank you.